Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in a Bitcoin. Today is the Ides of March, right? March the 15th, uh, 2019. What do we got here? Strong hand, offended by selling, value your wealth in Bitcoin, unconfiscatable, personal responsibility is the new counterculture. And of course, be in motion, like my three guests, they're, they're really in motion. We got JW Weatherman, we got Marty Bent, and we got Vortex. These guys are freaking all-stars. You can tell that I am back in the United States because I can get dudes that are usually asleep when I was doing the show back in Israel. So now everyone's awake. You've got your regular dudes back that you've missed so much. I know you've been craving these dudes. Well, actually, Marty came on, I think, once when I was in Israel because he, because he can wake up early. But these dudes, the other dudes can't. So let us start with Marty because he can wake up early. Um, you had a on your mailing list, and everybody check out these dudes. They're linked to below. Uh, Schnorr Refresher. Schnorr Signatures, privacy issues have been in the news a lot lately. What's going on, Mark? Yeah, thanks again for having me on, Adam. It's always uh, fun to be on the show. Um, yeah, so Lucas Nuzzi uh, from Dark Crypto, I believe, wrote uh, basically just a, a really good article on uh, Schnorr Signatures and what they are and how they may be, uh, how they may help uh, Bitcoin going forward and particularly uh, how it pertains to fungibility um, <clears throat> and scalability. Uh, so yeah, I just touched on that. Something I've been touching on the newsletter over the last few months, Schnorr Signatures, as a lot of people who are in the space know, is a, is a big uh, sort of want for Bitcoin in particular. The current uh, signature scheme, ECDSA, uh, is sort of constricting. And uh, if we are able to figure out a way to soft fork Schnorr in, uh, it would it would help uh, in terms of like efficiency, uh, scalability, privacy, and it would enable stuff like uh, Moosig and Taproot, which would enable off-chain uh, smart contracts and really cool stuff that you can do on Bitcoin. So that's something I've been covering. Uh, all credit goes Lucas Nuzzi, who wrote the article uh, and sort of really gets into granular detail about what it would mean uh, if we were to implement it uh, into the protocol. I'm sure uh vortex or jw can get more into the to technical details but as i understand it that's uh so that's why i wanted to cover it all right vortex are we getting private soon with the schnorr what's going on with that yeah i mean uh and again you know i'm not a cryptographer either but of course this stuff is really fascinating to me you know and this is just really really interesting and you know marty Car covered a, a bunch of it already and there's just so many great articles out there and really i got to recommend another one too in addition to the one that marty recommended uh aaron van weirdom actually um who's right writes a lot for bitcoin magazine has some awesome uh article privacy articles privacy focused articles uh dealing with schnorr signatures so i highly recommend everybody check that out as well i mean you know we're not we won't get you know into the too much of the technicals here because i'm sure your audience isn't isn't all cryptographers but you know this is just a really big win for bitcoin as, as marty said this is going to be a win for efficiency this is going to be a win for scaling and of course this is going to be a win for privacy so uh you know the biggest the biggest win here with with schnorr is this this just this ability to aggregate signatures um and really it, when it's at its full uh, full final version, it's final form, right? It can, it's going to be able to aggregate thousands and thousands and then tens of thousands of signatures uh, into, into single, into like a single transaction. So this is going to get really, really, uh, really amazing. Um, it's going to, we're, we're, we're talking, um, uh, savings fees of like 25 plus percent that, that could actually happen once this thing is in full swing. And I really want to preface this with also that this is going to be, this is still could be a couple of years away, right? This is, this is going to be, we're going to require a soft fork, uh, could be in the 2020 or 2021 soft fork. It could actually be in the next segment, uh, a version as well that, that might be pushed. So, uh, it, it could be either way. It's going to be a couple of years, but this is just going to be huge. And now, uh, you know, Gregory Maxwell. I mean, all the all the greats are on this, right? So Gregory Maxwell, Andrew Podesta, you know, all, Peter Woolley, all the greats are on this, and they uh, have just recently released um, a paper about this uh, this new uh, this new signature scheme to uh, to facil facilitate Schnorr, right? This Musig, this multi signature scheme, and uh, this is going to be really interesting because again, this reduces the number of signatures required in a transaction. Uh, so we we got I got aggregating signatures, and then we got reduced the actual amount of signatures so just 
awesome, awesome, awesome wins. In Bitcoin, we really, really, really value our every little bite. So if we, when we get like one, two, three percent efficiency gains, we are just excited. But when, with, with Schnorr, you know, we're talking 25 plus percent in certain areas. So that is a huge, huge win for Bitcoin. And again, the privacy. So it, it's it's really, really exciting. And I'm, I'm thinking that uh, in the next couple of years, this really should should be in there. It's, it just, it's just a, a win for everybody. Nobody's going to um, think that this is bad. What's the name of the guy who wrote the article again? Luke, what's his name? Uh, uh, Marty. Marty, you know the guy's name. What's his? I got. I got. Um, Lucas Nuzzi, N-U-Z-Z-I. Okay, so I didn't link to that currently. I should have. So I, I'm. I remember to do that after the show. It will be. Everything will be linked to below. Some things are already linked there. JW, how you doing? You got thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, this is really cool. Um, part of the part of what's going on here is that the original signature scheme that Bitcoin uses or currently used this ECDSA, it was kind of a hacky workaround because the Schnorr that the guy that Schnorr signatures is named after the cryptographer that came up with it, he patented it. And it was kind of obvious and it kind of sucks that he patented it because it was fairly elegant, right? And so ECDSA, we use that now. It's this kind of semi-goofy workaround because it wasn't patented. It was actually designed to kind of avoid his patent, which is why it's kind of hacky. Um, it's just it's just hacky and it's clunky. So it makes it harder to build interesting stuff on top of. So the way that uh, the way that this is going to affect Bitcoin, it's going to affect it in a bunch of different ways, right? Like it's a very foundational sort of improvement. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of people that get excited about like the really flashy, shiny stuff, right? Like, oh, Grin has, you know, said, or Mimblewimble, it's this massive change that we probably can't get in, but it would have this huge uh, effect that, you know, essentially you have like one transaction per block sort of thing, right? Like everything's, everything's consolidated and that's great for privacy. This is going to enable more stuff like that, right? So if you get to the point where, where transactions are cheaper when they're consolidated, then people are going to be incentivized to do that. So the problem with CoinJoin right now, which is basically just mixing, right? Like if we all want to send money to somebody, if we send it direct, that compromises our privacy because the amounts are visible and the source and the destination address is visible. If we did something like Wasabi Wallet and we coin join, we take all those transactions, you, you know, if you want to think of it as like money laundering or whatever, right? You pour all of those transactions into one washing machine and then everybody pulls their stuff out and you can't see where it came from because it went into a pile first. What's cool about Schnorr signatures or signature aggregation is that they're going to incentivize that sort of solution, right? So it will be cheaper for me to send you money by grouping it with other people's transaction, which that should, could, but I think probably will be enough to completely break all blockchain analysis. Like blockchain analysis is mostly voodoo and BS at this point anyway. Uh, but when we get to the point where we're actually uh, more often than not aggregating our transactions together, that's going to break it even further, probably to the point of no return. And then we can all just go, okay, all this hype around privacy coins, we can finally stop caring about it because Bitcoin will be then private enough to where it's not even worth trying to analyze it. So that's one application, but there's other applications of this too, because it's so fundamental, right? It's a very base layer sort of cryptographic improvement. And uh, I certainly don't understand all the implications, but some of them have to do with being able to do smart contracts that are off chain. Uh, but it's, it's so basic. It's like being able to multiply numbers, right? So there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to come out of that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. And this is, this is the sort of boring way things work, right? This is, if you want to see real progress, it's like, hey, we came up with this way to multiply two numbers. It has all these implications. We're not sure what it means yet. But over the next couple of years, you're going to see some really crazy stuff. It's not hype and, and uh, BS and shiny things to start with. Wow. You, you made a big claim there. This is going to get, uh, going to put the chain analysis people out of business. Uh, do, 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 Vortex, is this, a, is this a big claim here or is this, a, do you agree? No, this is this is this is awesome. I mean, this is exactly this is exactly the plan. So essentially, um, now I, what I what, what I wanted to add a note about is that really this can only become you know mass massive privacy solution if wallets kind of implement these things by default, right? So if wallets start adding more features like Wasabi Wallet uh, by default, then we can all just enjoy this privacy. And Schnorr makes this possible because it actually makes it cheap 
to use privacy. So because of the signature aggregation. So with this um, uh, soft forked into Bitcoin, wallets can then by default start adding these privacy features. So again, like, you know, set it and forget it, right? That's the whole thing that we want to get Bitcoin to eventually for, for the end user, right? Uh, is to be able to have all this privacy, all this ability to use, all this power of Bitcoin, all this full node capability, all this stuff built in and baked into some kind of streamlined, easy to use, you know, package, whether that's built baked, baked into the, your router or baked into your operating system or whatever it is. Um, so this is absolutely a win in that route. And one one other comment I wanted to say is that uh, JW mentioned the smart contract. I believe that uh, he's referring to MAST, right? So this is going to enable MAST, uh, which is this 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 new way of doing smart contracts you know, uh, uh, on Bitcoin. It's going to be really, really fascinating to see how powerful you can get with that because with, unlike Ethereum smart contracts where you have to calculate uh, all the gas you're going to use, there, there's nothing like that with it. This is just, you know exactly what's going to happen. There is no ifs or run times or loops, you know, it's just bam, uh, You you what you see is what you get. So th that is going to create very, very powerful uh, capabilities for smart contracts over Bitcoin with this mass technology. Dude, Vortex, I've, I've missed you. Pound that like button. It is great to have you back. Here is some apple cider vinegar. I This was at my Airbnb. You can tell you're at a great Airbnb when someone just left this here for me. You know, whoever stayed here in the past, I just wanted to point that out. Okay, but back to the show. Uh, <laughs> Marty, do you have any thoughts on what was just said there? You, uh, oh no, you didn't send me something. No, I think uh, Vortex and JW covered a lot. I think, again, going back to uh, probably the most important point is that it will be uh, economically, people will be economically incentivized to use Schnorr signatures because of the cheaper fees of aggregation, come with aggregation. So as with everything in Bitcoin and the game theory, uh, when the economic incentives align, you find that people sort of coalesce and, and adopt the features that are more economic. So it, it makes sense and it seems like a, a roundabout way to get privacy and sort of uh, in everybody's best interest too, so. All right, and and vortex that question from the audience there that uh, I sent you. What did I? I don't. I don't. I think I lost it. Oh, you see, so you see what? So the question was, how many actual signatures can you support in a single transaction with with Schnorr fully enabled? And I actually don't know the bit amount. I actually don't know, but I do know that it's in the tens of thousands. I'm not actually sure about the bit. We'd have to Google that. All right, and JW, final. You'll, you'll close out this uh, subject matter. Right? You you had something in the private chat there that you said. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that it's uh, what's exciting about this from a privacy standpoint is that if it's cheaper to have a private transaction than a non-private transaction, then the herd of people that we all need to be around us to be private, they'll go they'll go with us, right? So wallets, yes, right now wallets they don't enable uh, CoinJoin. Why? Because it's actually a little bit more expensive and people don't really care about it and it's kind of hard to do. This is going to make it very easy to do. It's going to make it cheaper. And so wallets are going to do it because users are going to demand it. If, if, if wallet A has fees that are consistently higher than wallet B, even if I don't know that wallet A has better or worse privacy than wallet B, that's the one that people are going to use. And so it, it, um, it incentivizes privacy. And we really we need that in order to be private. Uh, as Tim May famously said, you can't be private by yourself. You have to be you know, in the herd with everybody else. That's a bit of a slaughter of his, uh, his comment, but that's the idea. Um, the other thing that, that I was going to say about uh, this is that confidential transactions are really cool, right? So Bitcoin guys came up, Adam Back came up with confidential transactions. We have all these scam coiners like Fluffy Pony running around talking about how great confidential transactions are on his chain, but it has downsides. And one of the downsides that's a really important one that we're, we should all be struggling with as we're thinking about confidential transactions is that you don't get to see the amounts. And if we have an inflation bug, if we have something that allows people to create Bitcoin out of thin air, which in theory is not possible, but right now we know it's never been done because we can look at the blockchain, we can see that there's X number, 16 million, whatever Bitcoins that are in existence. That's very reassuring. And that especially to non-technical people that we're trying to convince to adopt Bitcoin because of all these great properties, being able to say definitively, this is how many Bitcoins exist because here's a list of them. It's very valuable. And so that's going to be disappointing if we have to give that up in order to get privacy. It still may be worth it, right? I'm not saying that it's not a, a good idea to do confidential transactions, but it might not be, right? Because because there's really scary trade-offs. It's a, it's a really tough call. With this, if we get privacy just because we're mixing and just because it's cheaper and more efficient, it's sort of, uh, there's no downside, right? It's, it's all good. And that's the sort of solutions that people come up with when they agonize over the details for years and years and they're not trying to do an ICO. So good job to all of the guys that are doing the hard work to make this happen. 
All right, Vortex, you held up your hand there. Did you have something to say? Or yeah, just one last, sorry, one last, one last comment. Um, basically, yeah, this is really important what JW said, which is we're in Bitcoin, we're trying to implement privacy at the transactional layer because we need that base layer to be transparent. It's very, very important that we are able to look under the hood and anybody is able to publicly verify these transactions themselves, whether that's my transaction or your transaction, I still need to be able to verify. I don't care who you are, but I need to be able to know that at any transaction that's out there on the network, I can verify myself. And so this is, this is a really really important trade-off look there's always going to be in there's always going to be trade-offs with different te technologies and different ways of doing things and confidential transactions are going to have their place somehow somewhere in fact even liquid uh the liquid network from blockstream is using confidential transactions but it's it's on a more of a smaller private federated network but at the same time the, the most important point to take away is that we don't know the best the best future, but we're trying this all at once. But really, I think the, the people need to understand that privacy at the transactional layer, at least on a base, you know, money like Bitcoin is, is, is absolutely paramount. We need to be able to see under the hood and find out what's going on. All right. Well, I'm excited for the 2020s, man. This is going to be quite a decade coming up with all these new developments. And uh, hey, we're here early. So I, I love that these guys are telling us about it uh, before it happens. So I want to remind everyone, follow me at TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T on Twitter. It's linked below along with all these other guys' Twitters. You can learn a lot on Twitter. Pound that like button. All right, so we're moving on to another subject, Matt, now. And I will quote Samson Mao, who has been on this show before. He said, I find it adorable that people are so concerned with the fine print on exactly how Tether is backed, while the money they think is in their own bank savings account is probably tied up in a mortgage loan. Yeah, very, very good point there. I'm sure some of the people fighting uh, Tether uh, are, are <laughs> have their uh, money, they think they have their money in the bank also. So basically what's going on with Tether in the news, and this is linked to below, Tether previously said the coin was 100% backed by an equal number of US dollars in reserve. And it's no longer saying that it's backed up 100% by US dollars. Um, it's backed up by a lot of things, apparently. Uh, Marty, your your thoughts on this? Every it seems like whenever the word tether is uttered, there must be fud and insanity. For me, it's like a, just a reminder, like it's all cyclical, and we're just going to keep on hearing this over and over again. And no one has to mess with tether. Marty, take it away. Yeah, no. So it seems as if uh, tether is taking. Uh, what people are extrapolating from their recent announcement is that they're taking some of the U.S. dollars that are backing the tether and maybe putting them to use uh, an interest-bearing account. Don't know what that that's speculation. It could be the case, but like you said, like tether, um, regardless of what they're doing with the U.S. dollars that back it, just know that it exists to skirt state regulations uh, and to skirt the U.S. government in particular. So. If you are using Tether and the U.S. government one day decides that they do not like Tether anymore, uh, just know that your funds could probably be frozen at any point in time. It is a risk. Um, I'm not a huge fan of stable coins or using them. I don't necessarily see the point unless you're a trader to hold them, um, yeah, especially in this space. You should just hold U.S. dollars in a bank account or something like that, unless obviously there's cases where people can't. But uh I think the, the third party risks that comes with Tether in particular, uh, sort of not knowing exactly what's going on at all times uh, is a risk I'm not willing to take. With that being said, but I think Tether is gonna fail overnight now. Um, I think the, the music can keep spinning for Tether for a pretty long time. Just just know the risk if you're gonna get into it. And and yeah, that's all, I guess all I got to say about it. Yeah, you know, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. That's my stable coin. Vortex, your thoughts on this latest round of Tether FUD? One Bitcoin will always equal one Bitcoin, people. Don't forget that because there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to try to take your Satoshis, whether that comes in the form of Tether or uh, Maker and Die or whatever that is. Somebody is going to try to get your Satoshis from you. So uh, essentially, you know, there's, there's always a lot of fun around Tether because what Tether is is essentially a difficult solution uh, to a difficult problem. And really, it's, it's not the greatest solution that we have, but it was the first solution. And uh, essentially, Tether really was the first stablecoin that this, that, this, uh, um, that this market actually experienced. And what this was able to do was really bring a bunch of liquidity in because you could actually you know, go from, from a cryptocurrency to 
the dollar, a tether, right, really sit really quickly back and forth. And so people held a lot of money in tether. In fact, tether got up to be to the point of like number seven uh, on coin market cap. There's a, there's billions of dollars right now in tether. So anytime, you know, one little thing like this changes, like the terms of service, though, this is very important uh, change in the terms of service. Anytime something little like this changed, there's going to be a lot of FUD and there's going to be a lot of craziness around it. What I'll say is that there's going, there, uh, tether has a lot more competition now. There is a lot more stable coins coming out and there probably will be a few more in the future. We don't need like thousands or hundreds, but we need a few. And uh, at least for the temporary uh, phase that we're, where we find ourselves in now, which is the transitional stage, you know, going from Bitcoin, uh, going from traditional fiat to Bitcoin, we're going to need uh, this, this ability to go to, to build liquidity. We're going to need this for market makers. We're going to need this for traders. We're going to need this for speculation, which of course is the number one network effect uh, that drives Bitcoin's price and the rest of crypto's price right now, even though Bitcoin, of course, is the only crypto out there that has something other than speculation uh, in its market. But uh, really the biggest takeaway is that they, Tether changed their terms of service. They, they, they're they essentially no longer saying that every uh, Tether is by $1, uh, one fiat dollar can now be like collateral loans to third parties like it could be it could be really anything at this point we with the, with with the lack of clarification that is now in these terms of service really we don't know what could technically actually be backing tether it could be now several things in addition to just the dollar but but again like the, the, these the, the stable coins are going to be here for a while i think that a few stable coins are necessary specifically the ones that are actually backed by us dollars so that people can you know uh, so we, we can facilitate facilitate this transitional period from traditional fiat to Bitcoin. Uh, but for now, um, really, I don't pay too much attention to Tether or these stable coins, as as we all know. You know, where most of us here are just hodlers. Yeah, exactly. And I want to say, with the stable coins, Marty said that Tether could be turned off by the U.S. government one day. The thing, but but take keep in mind if you're using like Gemini coin, they Gemini can just turn that off on you, take it all back. Uh, you know, if they think you're uh, doing a bad thing with it. So they all can. They all can. So all, again, traders are going to do what traders are going to do. 80 percenters are going to be 80 percenters. They're going to, they, they want to go back and forth between these stable, supposedly stable coins and their trading. It's risky. One, and you might be on the, uh, the blacklist one day where you, you can't use a uh, Gemini coin anymore. So good luck. Personal responsibility is a new counterculture. JW, your thoughts on the situation. Yeah, stablecoins are interesting. I'm one of the few people that uh, that are definitely a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, the, some people call me the maximalist maximalist or something. But I'm also a big fan of stablecoins. I think they're great. Um, I don't see any downside um, if if you look if you have Gemini dollars right and they're on this token or you have a Chase Bank account. What are the differences? Uh, Gemini dollars are they're a U.S. institution. They're all regulated. You know, they're part of the war machine. These guys might lobby to like kill innocent kids in Syria, but they're probably not going to steal your bank account, right? Same thing with Chase. Like I'm not, the, the risk that they steal my money is, is equal, right? But with Gemini dollars, I have all this, uh, I have all this feature, feature ability, right? Like I can move them around. I can send them between wallets. I don't have to, um, I don't have to try to use the cash app. If I need to send money to somebody that's international, I can do that in theory with these Gemini dollars. So to me, the Gemini type stable coins are just like, an upgraded bank account, right? There's all kinds of downsides to them, but they're basically the same downsides that you have with your Bank of America account, right? Um, Tether is different. Tether is this crazy company. Nobody really knows much about it. Nobody knows the founders. These guys are not having dinners at the Federal Reserve, right? I, I don't know who these dudes are, but they have billions of dollars that we're all trusting them to hold on to. Now, maybe these guys are trustworthy, right? But the reason that I trust Chase is because they already own me, right? Like I'm already a slave of the state. They're not going to steal 50 grand out of my bank account. They're not going to do anything like that because they already have me, right? So I, I trust them in sort of this uh, citizen-slave relationship. But with these Tether guys, like I am amazed that they haven't stolen the money so far. I don't see why they haven't. Um, the My only guess is that they're... Uh, they're either building it up really, really big. I mean, look, wh what do you guys think it is? Do you think these guys are just holy? You think these guys love you more than their own kids? And that's why they're not taking your money and running? Like, what is the theory here that this money is actually there? I think it probably is because, um, because they're probably still building it. They're making so much money off of it right now. But there's going to be a time where this massive bag of money is just more attractive than the trickle of money that comes in on fees. And if that money doesn't walk out the door... I'm going to be as amazed as anybody. 
And that's a whole different situation than dealing with like the Winklevoss twins that are already billionaires and are politically connected in the United States. So I'm not a huge fan of what Tether is. I think they served a role, but look, if, if you have money in Tether, I'm saying right now, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a problem, right? I'm not trying to create FUD and hype and all that sort of stuff. It's a really bad idea. It was a bad idea six months ago. It was a bad idea 24 months ago. I don't know it's a worse idea today, but it's still a bad idea. So if you have an alternative, like if you can get into something like a Gemini, um, do that. Better yet, if you can handle the volatility, just stay in Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, if, if everyone reviews this, what, what JW just said, at the start, he used the word trust so many times when describing stable coins, whichever ones he was describing. That's the thing. Bitcoin, trustless. Those things, different levels of trust. Well, it's, it's, well I, I like this one because the Winklevyer behind it. I don't like this one because the uh, who, who knows who's behind it. Uh, Vortex or Marty, any uh, comments on what that JW said? Just, just the final thing is real quick is, uh, you know, it, it's absolutely true that when that trickle of money becomes less than the sum, right, of everything, that money will walk away. Uh, it's just because it's not, a, it's not the same thing as like a JPM coin or a Gemini. It's just simply not the same thing. They're not playing on the same field. It's a different, whole different thing. They got banks around the world and, and assets and God knows what. So, um, uh, in my personal opinion, again, you know, I'm okay with stable coins that are actually uh insured and backed by us dollars in the account that we can prove and see but you know stuff like tether it gets really really hairy and you have to be really really careful and i just want to make sure that you know that people know that you have to be really really careful they the, the only reason why it hasn't been stolen yet is because they are making like jw said a crap load of profits on these fees uh, i i want to remind everyone that tether is not bitcoin by the way because when tether does blow up in the future whenever that may be people are going to try to say that it was bitcoin or something so just have a strong hand when it happens i know you guys know that tether isn't bitcoin but i just wanted to put it out there for the newbies that will get confused and eh, we, we know what will happen in the future uh, anyway uh marty thoughts uh any any conclusionary thoughts on the uh tether uh if my memory serves me correctly tether was sort of birthed out of the uh, aftermath of the Bitfinex hack. So they sort of created this uh, as a solution to getting hacked. And I think they stumbled upon into success. And obviously it's been very successful up to this point. So JW posited like, what's their reasoning behind it? They stumbled into it because they had to, because they got hacked originally. So just- I don't know. I don't think that's the reason they, they came up with it. I don't think it- I, yeah, I yeah, that, that, that was the thing. That was their I, that was their for their one to one peg, so that they will pay you. No, back. when when Bitfinex got when it got hacked, I thought they had a to a Bitfinex token. No, they had the, that as well, but then they yeah. had to create Tether to be able to facilitate between the two. I think. Yeah, I think they I yeah. think they had Tether, but it doesn't. Either okay. way, this is a great point, right? The, they have a history of getting hacked, and if you're a, a Bitcoin exchange and you've been hacked you had all the technology that you could possibly need to stay safe and you didn't execute it well, or it was an inside job, which 99% of the time it's an inside job. Now these same guys, these same guys were trusting to hold all of our money in unnamed bank accounts. Nah, um, I'm sticking with uh, Chase, Wells Fargo, the Winklevoss twins, Gemini, whatever, stupid coin, but it's not going to be, uh, for, for the money that I have to keep in fiat, it's not going to be Tether. Um, and I've been saying that for a long time. So again, I'm not saying there's anything that, to this announcement. I'm not trying to create FUD and panic, but this is a bad idea. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're in a country where you can't get those tokens, you got to do what you got to do, but at least know that, that the clock is ticking, right? At every, every day that goes by, uh, there is a significant chance. Maybe it's 1% chance. Maybe it's a quarter percent chance that there's going to be bad news about tether. And that's going to mean that all your tether are worthless. That's the reality. So, uh, don't trust it. The Lindy effect does not apply to tether. Like it applies to Bitcoin people. <laughs> okay. Good point. When, when, Yes. I, I, that's interesting because people would argue that. Well, it was the first stable coin. It's lasted longer than all the rest. So, it, so you're okay. It doesn't apply there. Uh, Vortex is saying very interesting. Very, very interesting. I, I will say this: it was good to get a reminder that Bitfinex. Yes, it was hacked in 2016. People, uh, they all get hacked eventually. That's just uh, a lot of people don't remember that because they weren't around. I remember it was right before the halving, actually, and the price had been going up, and then woo, it went it went down because of people uh, panicked because of the uh, the hack. Anyway, let's uh, ah, sweet memories pound that like button. 
So here is an article from uh, the Block Crypto. What do they have to say here? CBOE halts Bitcoin futures. The product generated less than half the volume that competitor CME groups Bitcoin futures generated. All right. Does this matter, JW? Uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm not sure, actually. But I, I mean, when I saw that news, I was like, ah, that's a bummer. But then I did uh, consider the fact that, yeah, there wasn't as much volume. So my guess is that as long as we, I mean, the only thing that I care about all these stupid things for is just ultimate Bitcoin adoption, right? So I don't, I like, I'm not going to invest in an ETF. That's so stupid. Why would I do that? I'm going to hold my own keys because I'm not a moron. But there's a lot of people that need to be brought through that process. And so I want a Bitcoin ETF. I want people that, uh, that unfortunately have money tied up in a 401k and they just can't take it out without getting crazy penalties, but they'd like to invest some in Bitcoin. I want them to be able to do that. And I think they need stuff like an ETF. I think we need some amount of you know, financialization for that to happen. And uh, so like when I first saw it, I was like, ah, is this a setback? I don't think it is, but I'm not really an expert on this stuff because I don't really care about it uh, other than, you know, just to see Bitcoin adopted uh, over time. So I don't know. Actually, Marty would probably know more than me uh, if if this is going to be a problem for like Bitcoin ETF approval or anything like that. But my hope is that as long as we have Bitcoin futures, we still have just as much liquidity. My hope is that it doesn't matter that we have two of them. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I'll say this. So one Bitcoin futures product dies. So what? I mean, we've got a long future ahead of us. There are going to be other Bitcoin future products coming into the space in the future. Oh, I said future two different ways. All right. So just, yeah, it's one company bailing out, whatever they, for whatever reasons. Marty, your thoughts. Yeah, all this proves is that the CME had a better product that traders wanted to use. So it's like the volume proved it. And it's, uh, I don't recall the exact specifics of the CBOE product in particular, but uh, as with every market, it's like they go for liquidity and stuff like that. And futures markets that want exposure to Bitcoin, it looks like they're choosing the CME product over the CBOE product. Maybe the CBOE will come back with products once there's more overall liquidity in the market. But uh, in terms of ETF, I'm not positive how that affects it or anything like that. But uh, Pretty much, uh, I, I would say it's it's uh, more of a of a sort of black eye for the CBOE and not Bitcoin in particular. Um, I want to thank Molotov Cocktail for the two dollars in the super chat. He said, "Hola, hola, dude, and thank you." Vortex, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, future uh, just a couple. I mean, first of all, it's absolutely not a setback. Like again, as Marty said, the, all this shows is that the C uh, the CBOE had had an inferior product because look, they had declining volume. They were cash settled people. They were cash settled. They were, in my opinion, uh, actually a net negative uh, for for the overall ecosystem. So I'm I'm glad that uh, that they they got their crappy product. Um, you know, uh, and. They, that people saw that it was a crappy product and that, that now they're discontinuing it. Uh, because again, um, they, they did not serve you the underlying, right? They were, it was just completely cash settled. And so what we saw is that people just didn't care, especially when the price went down, um, you know, people just stopped caring. Now we do see the volume though on CME continuing to go up. We see it, you know, and just specifically recently in the past month, we've saw it, we saw it, we started to gain uh, much more volume. So, um, and you know, as I, just to comment, um, on the the actual price like essentially we you know we are you know bitcoin you can think of bitcoin as like this big tanker markets right as like this big tanker when the tanker starts like turning you know it, it's going to start turning and there's no kind of turning it back for a while it takes a while to turn this huge thing and now what we see is that the whole market itself the whole you know the whole bitcoin and the whole crypto market is starting to turn we see we see bitcoin starting to, to turn up we see you know we're hitting um higher lows you know so we're, we're continuing to to to, to consolidate and go through this consolidation period. But, you know, there's going to be so many products that are going to be launched on top of this. This was just one inferior product that, that went away. And, you know, uh, Fidelity, you know, if you, if you, if you read some of the comments that some of the larger institutions like Fidelity are saying, they, they, they are just not worried at all. I mean, they are absolutely not caring about this current price. They just recently launched their, their new uh, custodial product. I think they soft launched that this week. So, um, you know, they, they're, and all of their clients, same thing. They're like, yeah, we don't care about this 
quote unquote bear market. Bitcoin was $1,000 in January, 2017. I'm still doing better than anything else. You know, like Bitcoin is absolutely still uh, continuing to, to outperform. I mean, if you go back from the, if you count it all the way back from the beginning, like, you know, it's, it's a pretty large percent and it absolutely outcompetes anything else that's ever come before it. So, uh, I think that this is good that this product left. Uh, we're going to get much better products, uh, namely, you know, like things like the CME. All right, let us move on from this topic. It had to be brought up, but that that there there are thoughts. Be patient, people. Um, let us uh, talk about government interference uh, with uh, cryptocurrency. What what some people theorize is going to happen, or what is happening here. We got Nick Carter saying prediction in the next twelve months. A high-profile Western government will criminalize Bitcoin ownership. Justifications will include terrorist financing owned by regimes like uh, North Korea and Maduro, dark net markets. Then uh, Matt O'Dell actually added a tweet to that. The more likely play is that some governments start requiring full disclosure of holdings and addresses, like uh, Canada is doing. Well, will be difficult to enforce, but they would try to make an example of a couple of people incur to encourage compliance. So I guess I'll start with Marty on this. Uh, what do you think? Uh, are, are, is, is a country going to outlaw it or they missed the boat on that? Or are we just going to be like uh, what Canada is doing? Are there going to be countries that say, hey, we know you've got some crypto, list all your public addresses. We're going to try to intimidate you. Um, yeah, I have no idea whether somebody's going to come out and outright ban Bitcoin over the next year. Nothing would surprise me. I don't think it's going to happen, but nothing, again, nothing would surprise me. Um, and then, yeah, what Canada's doing, it's just like the natural course of what these governments are going to do. Like the world is moving towards a negative interest rate policy sort of regime. And what that dictates is, or that tells me is that these central banks and governments around the world want to milk their constituency for as much revenue as they possibly can and bitcoin is going to be a source of re or they see as a potential source of revenue and it just makes sense that they would want to know everything about your bitcoin as 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 jw would say is slave in their system um but uh yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me if anything it draws more attention to what we spoke about in the beginning of this episode with schnorr signatures and let's just get it to a point where they can't even they can't even do it. Like that's the mindset I have, and that's why I write about and talk about things like Schnorr signatures, because it'll get to a point where it's easy to sort of have civil disobedience uh, via Bitcoin transactions. And be like, well, they try to follow me, but it's, it's not really going to happen. All right, JW, I'm going to let you go wild on this subject because I, I know you've got a lot to say. Uh, <laughs> and but what are you talking uh, about, man? I don't have any strong opinions on this. Yeah, but and I wanted to. I didn't have you on the show last week because you, you couldn't get up at four in the morning or whatever. Uh, but I, we talked about what Canada did. Uh, you you might have heard they've sent some uh, letters out to people they know have Bitcoin or they think have cryptocurrency at least. Uh, and they want people to divulge a lot of information. Do you think the United States would go as far as Canada has gone? That, that, uh, because it's, it, some of the stuff seemed pretty unconstitutional, uh, what, what they were trying to do there. But uh, take it away, JW. Oh, man. Yeah, you definitely know how to trigger me. You throw out the Constitution before. Uh, yeah. So the Constitution is worthless. Uh, it has been worthless for a really long time. It's a good piece of marketing that keeps us all feeling like we have some rights and freedoms. But uh, none of those rights and freedoms uh, are, are going to be affected by that piece of paper. Uh, the Supreme Court is just good PR. And when they tell you something's constitutional, uh, there's a lot of people that go, oh, it's constitutional now. Um, so it's a it's a complete disaster for, for liberty and freedom at this point in time in history. So I don't think that's going to be doing anything to stop the IRS from asking for data or going to banks and getting data. Look, they already do all this stuff, right? Like th there's, there's nothing... Um, there's nothing that would be weird about the IRS saying, hey, we just, th this is a request for information. It's completely voluntary, right? This is a voluntary system. You voluntarily pay your taxes. Uh, we really need voluntary compliance here. And we're just asking a question. You can lie to us, of course, so you can just not answer. But most people are going to get a letter from the IRS. They're going to freak out and they're going to tell the IRS what the IRS is asking, which is exactly what I would do because I've been through audits with businesses and they're miserable. Um, so, you know, th there wouldn't be anything weird about 
about this. I don't think there's anything weird about Canada doing it. It has some negative implications for blockchain analysis though. So these this, this data that they get, if they get all of the addresses from a large number of Canadians, then that crowd that we need to hide in, and we don't necessarily need to hide in it because we're terrorists or something, but if you don't want everybody to know what your paycheck is and you're getting paid in Bitcoin, you don't want, uh, you want a certain amount of privacy, right? And if the IRS or the Canadian government or other institutions start asking people and they voluntarily give up their addresses and their balances, that crowd that we're all hiding in shrinks, right? And so it definitely hurts everybody's privacy. But what's great about Bitcoin is that uh, it's software and we're not all that great as like people that are just good, decent people that wanna raise families about propaganda and you know education and quotes and all of the stuff that the mobsters and the gangsters are good at, but we are good at building stuff. And that's why the cypherpunk movement's gonna win. So if these gangsters start putting pressure on people to, to divulge their addresses, all it's gonna do is motivate us to write more code, right? Motivate us to build more solutions. Um, we're all excited about Schnorr signatures. And there's another, there's another thing that's in play that I think we're all gonna get a lot more excited about if this starts happening. And that's the uh, pay to endpoint concept, right? Which is basically, it's a really simple, elegant hack. And that's, that's how, like I said before, you can tell the difference between real professionals that are really building good stuff and people that are just putting out marketing white papers, right? This is, it's so elegant, it's simple, but it has a big impact. And the basic idea is if I wanna send you $55, Instead of sending you $55, you and I work together to create a transaction and my input is 55 and your input is 45 and the output is 100 back to you, right? So this, the receiver actually adds some money to the input. That is gonna make their job a whole lot harder. So all we have to do is little stuff like that and I would probably take that uh, and the Canadian government and the US government asking people for addresses in a heartbeat. Like I think just pay to endpoint is gonna make it so much harder for these monkeys to track us that sending out a bunch of letters doesn't matter, right? So that's how easy this stuff is for us to win when we play on our battlefield. We don't wanna play in you know, philosophy. We don't wanna be fighting the SJWs at universities or getting hit in the head with uh, you know, bike locks and stuff. We just wanna shut up and just build stuff that's useful and completely make them irrelevant. Wow, I got a letter from the government the other day. That was some rat from back in the day. All right, Vortex, your thoughts on this? <clears throat> yeah, JW covered most of it, but essentially this is a, a, a risk that it was always there. Uh, you know, people like Tone Vase have been, you know, trying to tell people to to not use Coinbase for, for years and years and years, right? We've been stressing using things like local Bitcoins and things because this uh, and other services like that, because these peer-to-peer -peer services, because this was always going to happen. You know, Coinbase was always going to KYC. Uh, the government was always going to eventually ask probably for, for some of these public addresses. Uh, and so, um, you know, we've Bitcoin has been thinking about privacy for years. I mean, since the beginning, Bitcoin, you know, is is all about, uh, you know, the cypherpunk movement, right? Cypherpunks write code, so they absolutely understood this is this was a future that could happen, and so this is why Bitcoin was created in the first place. So um, they're going to, of course, try to play a couple of their games, like they're going to maybe send out some letters showing us your, telling us, you know, requesting your public addresses, like Canada's doing. Maybe they'll do that, uh, but there are, you know, certain things you can do as just a regular citizen, like you know, you could um, download a script that would give them, like. Like Francis said, you could download a script that would give them literally, you know, millions and millions of addresses from your from your one single key, uh, from your one single pub key, and just just DDoS them right with just a million addresses. Here's all my public addresses, and have they'll literally be a, like a million. And for you, it was just five minutes of work, but for them, it's going to be you know insane insanity to try to go through that. So that's one way to do it, you know, just to give them a bit of a hard time. But as JW said, if they press too much. Uh, we're just going to work around it. Between pay to endpoint, Schnorr signatures, you know, coin joining, um, this stuff is going to eventually all be by default. This is very, very early days. We're just making sure the system works right now. But you can better believe that this was always going to be the, the situation. The government was always going to eventually, uh, eventually, you know, uh, try to suppress Bitcoin. And so we've been preparing it preparing for that for, for years with education and of course with with these amazing uh cypherpunks that, that are keeping up keeping uh keeping up bitcoin and adding new privacy features uh, uh like the, like the ones that we spoke about earlier so i think that um I'm, I'm not worried in the slightest but i absolutely see foresee that as a future that eventually you know we're, we're going it's a cat and mouse game they're going to try one thing we're going to write code to make it irrelevant they're going to make me try something else we'll write some more code uh, but at the end of the day um We've been, it's the same message as always, right? Uh, keep your coin if you can off of centralized services, use peer to peer. Uh, try not to have it attach your name to, to Bitcoin if you can, uh, because just we still have to go through that the, that final boss battle. 
before Bitcoin is really like safe for, for everybody. Uh, we do have to go through that final boss battle. And this is going to play out over decades. You know, but the one thing you can do absolutely is, you know, hold your uh, value, as, as Adam says, value your wealth in Bitcoin, keep your coin off centralized services. And, you know, you should be you should be good. Strong hand, people. All right. I want to bring up some uh, vilification of uh, Bitcoin that might be coming up. Uh, you know, we were that was kind of referred to in the tweets that I read before that governments like to make it seem like it's for criminals or some people in the government do. Uh, un unfortunately, we've all heard the news uh, about what happened in New Zealand, which was horrifying. Um, and, and the guy who did the deed down there, he had a manifesto. And in the in the manifesto, it says, I worked for a short time before making some money investing in BitConnect then use the money from the investment to travel. So um, if that's true, if he uh, was involved in BitConnect and then he used uh, that, whatever his profits from that to travel, he probably uh, had to transfer into Bitcoin at one point. So I would expect that you're going to hear, <laughs> I've already heard some crazy things about this, people trying to blame all sorts of people on what this crazy guy did. Uh, they'll, they'll try to incorporate Bitcoin into this uh, some way. So I just wanted to, I wanted to put that out there. Um, you know, he might have been uh, being obnoxious in, in his manifesto. There were points when he clearly was not telling the truth in, in the manifesto about certain things. But I've got a feeling that this you know, he probably was involved with this BitConnect and then did well because some people did do well. It was a pon some people in a Ponzi do well and then use the money for whatever. Maybe who knows what they'll be able to connect it to eventually. Um, I wanted to put that out there, and I don't know if the uh, panel members have any uh, thoughts on this at all. Let uh, any anyone chime in. Let's not give that asshole any attention. That, <laughs> that's a, that that's a good uh, that's a good way of putting it. But again, I, again, a warning to people though. It, I would not be surprised. The mainstream media likes to conflate and confuse a lot of things out there. And uh, well, I can tell you, I will say one quick thing, Adam, they've already, they're already doing that, right? So there's been a BitConnect sort of documentary in Australia already that's been released uh, from a local news station or whatever. And of course, they absolutely uh, intertwined BitConnect and Bitcoin like crazy, you know, towards the end, they're like, are you going to be investing in any more of these crypto like BitConnect, Bitcoin? Uh, you know, and so they, they just, the guy, the, the interviewer guy has, has no clue about crypto and he absolutely interchanged them uh, repeatedly. So this is already... You know, already begun. Uh, but but to me, it's a bit of a weak play. Remember, they're going to do everything they can. So of course, they're going to do this. But it, it overall, I think it is a bit of a weak temporary play. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess all I would say is, um, uh, I, I don't want to sound too crazy, but uh, if you think that it's insane that this stuff like this could happen and governments could actually be doing it to change the narrative, you have to go back at least fifty years because that's when things start getting declassified. So we know. We know a lot of stuff about the Gulf of Tonkin. Like there's all kinds of really crazy stuff that, you know, when I was a kid, it was only the dude that was smoking pot in his van with pirate radio that was saying, oh yeah, dude, the Gulf of Tonkin, that was that was a false flag, right? And now it's all been declassified and we all, we all know. Um, so what I always tell people to do is there's a, a great book on the Lusitania. It's called the Lusitania. But if you just look into the history of that, that's far enough back in history where it's very easy to understand that the U.S. government worked with the British government to kill hundreds of U.S. citizens in order to justify support in World War One. And World War One killed a lot of people and resulted in World War Two. And our whole world has been affected by this. That was that was a U.S. government operation. There's no question about it. Nobody knows this, but it's all very well. I mean, it's it's like one of those things that nobody. Nobody knows because it's far enough back in history, but it's not far enough. It's not that nobody knows it because the data isn't out there, right? Um, one of the reasons that we know this is that the Germans wanted to put in all the US newspapers, don't get on the Lusitania because the Lusitania is actually carrying arms and cargo and we're going to blow it up, right? And the US government ran around and took it out of all the newspapers. This is like a very well established historical fact so that US citizens would be on the boat so that it would get attacked by the Germans and sunk so that it would justify support for getting into the war. And if, you're, if you want something more recent, I mean, you can look at the gas attacks in Syria. We know that that was a hoax now, right? Um, uh, we're, getting off a little, we're getting off topic here a little bit, JW. Right. I, I, I don't want people 
what happened down there happened down there. It happened. It happened. Oh no, I'm not saying that. Like, you're, 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 I think you're. No, we're about, about, to, to, we're about to get 9/11. We're about to get into 9/11 if we keep no, no, going. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, We don't want to. We don't. We. I just brought it up because a Bitcoin. I'm bringing Let's, it back, man. Give me 30 more seconds, and I'll bring, bring it back. Bring it to Bitcoin. You got to bring it to Bitcoin. All right. So point is, we don't. All I'm saying is, we don't know what the guy's motivation was. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm not pulling an Alex Jones with Sandy Hook or whatever. Uh, I, what I'm saying is there's a lot of unknowns about that, but that narrative can be used effectively to vilify stuff like Bitcoin. And the point is we're not good at that sort of stuff, right? Like people that build, people that want to make the world better, we're not good at either manipulating narratives or just outright creating them out of thin air to deceive large populations. But there are people that are really good at it. So this is my argument for we shouldn't be focused on education. We shouldn't be focused on propaganda um, either the positive version or the negative version of it. We should be focused on building tools because no matter how much they've tried to vilify Bitcoin, it's a tool, it's useful, it works, it solves a lot of problems. So if we just keep focused on what we're actually good at, we will make the world a better place regardless of the crazies and the people that manipulate and use the crazies to try to make the world worse. All right, he brought it back to Bitcoin there. This is good. All right, let's move on to Marty Bet and... Uh, ask him about the Jack Dorsey interview that he conducted, legendary stuff. Uh, Jack Dorsey is uh, making his way or, or around the internet and it seems like a public relations tour, uh, <laughs> but he is talking to people, which is awesome. So it, it, what did you get out of the, out of the interview, Marty? Uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, is he a genuinely nice guy? Is, he, is this part of a, a public relations tour? What's, what's going on? Uh, no, it was a fun experience. So my interview with him was 31 minutes in total. I think we were in the same room for maybe 35 or 36 minutes. So it was uh, real quick in and out. But yeah, it was going to be nicer. Um, I got the, I don't know, I can't speak for the rest of this tour, but my conversation with him, I got the vibe that there's like a little cypherpunk in him that wants to come out. Um, but that being said, obviously there's a ton of shit going on with Twitter. And um, he obviously is going on this, this, podcasting tour too so I, I i mean call it a pr tour or whatever it seems like he's putting himself out there in pretty vulnerable situations like going on uh joe rogan with uh with tim pool i thought that was pretty gutsy i don't think i'd see any other ceos doing that that's he's got a lot of uh a lot of heavy problems to deal with too i mean running the most powerful communication tool in the world uh i can imagine is pretty burdensome so um yeah man he's just going around the vibe i got he told me is that i'm asking a lot of questions right now trying to talk to a lot of people and i think uh bitcoin being sort of an open system a distributed system really fascinates him and maybe the lack of control he has on it um, obviously with square and cash app and his involvement with that he's got an incentive to, to pump it as well and his investment in lightning but um i do think he's in it i got the vibe he's in it for for internet ideals and philosophical reasons, not just uh, monetary gain. So do you foresee him incorporating it into into uh, Twitter? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not on their product team. I, it's, and he said it on Stefan's, or well, he said Cash App may implement it and Square may implement it. Uh, I don't know. He's CEO of both companies. It wouldn't surprise me if he was able to make it happen in the future. And the, the one thing that I think some people worry about. He seems to be a Bitcoin maximalist. He, he he basically said so. But do you think he could incorporate other altcoins into his products in the future? I mean, anything's possible. We've seen it happen with other companies in the past, but it seems at this point in time, he's pretty uh, dead set on focusing on Bitcoin and perfecting that uh, experience and use case first. Uh, it seems as though he gets the sort of the monetary economics behind it and sort of the protocol economics of the stuff coalescing most likely on the one or a few protocols. So uh, I think I like in this space in particular, it's one thing that has perturbed me about Coinbase, uh, Coinbase over the years is they, they don't have really good focus. They seem a bit scatterbrained with their product suite and everything they're doing that with Square uh, sort of having their POS system and uh, their sort of merchant business, uh, they're able to focus on Bitcoin alone with the cryptocurrency uh, sort of emerging into it. And um, that's something I like to see uh, out of people working 
with Bitcoin in particular is that they have focused on it. Yeah. Uh, Vortex and JW, do you have any questions uh, for Marty about or any comments about Jack Dorsey? I don't like to put anybody out on a pedestal, like, but he is he's a, obviously he controls a tremendous company. And if if it were to incorporate Bitcoin, it would be big news. It would be it would be. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I I think I think it's tough to judge like a CEO of a big company based on what they're saying, right? But I will give him some credit that like any CEO of a big company that references the cypherpunks and being a big fan of the cypherpunk movement, um, that is crazy. I mean, it, that is insane. That's like saying you're a big fan of Al Qaeda, right? Like it is, it's that socially awkward in my opinion for a CEO of a company to make a reference to Tim May and the movement that he started with the cypherpunks. It's a very anti-government movement. Like it's very anti-government, right? And he's he's making reference to that. So I got to give him some some credit for shining some light in that direction. I think that was pretty epic. But more importantly, I mean, look what he's done with Square and look what he's done with Lightning, right? He's he he is one of the earliest investors into Lightning Labs, um, and that is a really really big deal, right? Lightning Labs is is probably the second most important company outside of Blockstream to Bitcoin. Um, and when he was asked on Twitter, hey, you know, what do you guys think about adding an altcoin to uh, Cash App? His, he just said no. It was the most epic just beatdown of the stupidity of altcoins I think I've seen on Twitter. So that's got me pretty much a big fan of the guy. Uh, and then he's also, you know, in these interviews, I think in Marty's interview, he actually made reference to the fact that eventually data is going to exist forever, right? And, and I think this is sort of an oblique way of saying, look, Twitter's going to be re-architected in such a way that we don't do censorship, um, which is a pretty, pretty big thing, right? Where he's, he's saying like, hey, it's going to exist forever. It's not going to even be technically possible for us to delete it at some point in the future when we get this right. So, you know, we'll enable filters that you can opt in and opt out of. Um, that's pretty much as, as good as I can expect from anybody. Um, and we got to remember, he's in a really tight spot and it's not like he can just make decisions, right? There, he's got a board and he's got all these other stuff going on. So um, based on all that, I, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm not a fan of him at this point, but um, if he keeps funding Lightning, I really don't care what he says. As long as he keeps funding Lightning and making it really easy to buy Bitcoin, that's what that's what matters as far as I'm concerned with that dude. Vortex, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, I mean, a lot of what JW said already. I mean, this this guy found the internet very, very young. He found the cypherpunk movement very young. Um, you know, he has never been a fan of authority. Like now, he's not completely anti-government or anything like that. But this guy is not a fan of authority. He he builds tools that enables people to be more powerful. I mean, just look what he's built. He's built Twitter. Right, he allows any person to be, you know, to have their word out there to millions and millions of people. Right, he built cat, he built um, Square, which allows anybody to be to easily, you know, accept money uh, for something. You know, whether that's as small as washing somebody's car, right, or something as huge as like a big conference. It, um, it, it doesn't matter. You can still use it for those purposes. And then look at Cash App. He enabled, he made it easy for people to buy Bitcoin. So you know, Twitter, the internet, Bitcoin, these things all coalesce into this into this movement of this information age of empowering the individual of giving the individual literally the power that governments had just a couple decades ago and this is not going to stop or slow down we're going to continue to get more powerful uh to the point to where of course everybody's going to be their own nation state at some point like that's that's far far in the future but this is this is where we're headed and and that's uh, goes hand in hand with information like not being able to be deleted when you're in this uh information age and this this this, this age of transparency uh that we're going to be going into in, in these next couple of decades, like it's not going to be a problem. Uh, people are will want this because all of the the negativity and a lot of the you know the shadow government, all this kind of stuff, you know, a lot of this bad stuff usually hides in secrecy. Like that's their most powerful weapon is secrecy. And when you have an information age, like there's nowhere that you can hide from the light. Essentially, like everybody's bad, you know, laundry is going to eventually come out. And so this is this is this is what makes this so powerful and so important uh, because it allows uh, these technologies that Jack builds and other people build for the Internet and the Internet itself allows um, the good guys to fight back. And this is exactly what we're seeing. So we see him invest in things like Lightning Labs. This, the, he sees 
what this shows to me is that he sees that this, the, the big picture, he sees the long game. He sees this thing playing out over decades. He sees that, okay, look, we, we, we currently clearly obviously have only seven transactions a second. That's only enough for a base settlement layer. Uh, that's not going to be enough for a, me, a medium of exchange. So he, he, he thought about lightning. This shows, and of course, his responses to the altcoins, it shows that he's not short-sighted about this. He's actually thinking long-term. And when you go back uh, to his history about what he's learned and what he's, you know, what he, what he favors and the things that interest him, it, it all comes back to a classic cypherpunk type of person. And so he's going to absolutely win over people like myself and JW and others um, that, that think along the same lines. And so uh, we absolutely have to give him credit. Absolutely have to give him credit for, for the work that he's done. And especially now the work that he's doing in Bitcoin. It's going to be very, very important. Excellent. All right. We were going to talk about uh, Coinbase. Uh <laughs> I'll talk about them on my Sunday show. Because remember, I do a new show here every single day. Yeah, they, they send out an email like saying, convert your Bitcoin into all these other altcoins. It's just encouraging. Anyway, we'll talk about that another day because... It's Hashtag delete subject. Coinbase. <laughs> well, yes. All right. So moving on, let's, let's wrap up the show. We will start with... Uh, and JW, you can, you've uh, told me about your 10 hours of Bitcoin.com site. Uh, what's that about? And is and did anything was anything left off of the show that you wanted to add on? Any news items? Uh, no, no news items. Um, but uh, yeah, I released uh, this site um, with with a couple other guys, Rollo and uh, an actually heavily armed clown uh, who's over on DCTV is administering it too. Um, but basically, if you go to ten hours of Bitcoin.com, the idea is that it is the first 10 hours that you should spend to figure out what the heck's happening with Bitcoin. Um, within that 10 hours, we can't do it in less, right? We can't do it in an hour. And we don't expect people to invest 100 hours into figuring out Bitcoin and economics and all of the things that are related to it. Um, but 10 hours is a reasonable amount of time to where you can go from basically zero, um, get a good introduction from uh, the Bitcoin standard, and then work your way through lightning and simplicity and all of the other stuff that's coming in the future, um, as well as getting really the economic knowledge that you need to understand what money is, why it matters, um, why uh, why money has to be one thing, right? Like most people listening to me right now are like, oh no, we're going to have all these competing currencies forever. That's why I'm investing in all these crap coins. It's going to be great. No, if you understand economics, you, you understand what money is, it has to be one thing. I can't make an argument for that now, but if you put in the 10 hours that's required to go through that material, at the end of it, you'll be able to explain to me why it's a winner take all situation. So check it out, it's definitely a, a good free resource. And uh, even if you're an OG Bitcoiner, uh, peruse through it and see if there's a talk that you missed um, or something that you haven't seen because it's, it's all stuff that's highly curated and uh, uh, valuable. Awesome. That is linked to below. All these guys' links are linked to below. Vortex, what are your, your final thoughts? Anything that was left off that you wanted to talk about? Anything uh, you're working on? Plug away. Uh, no, I just, I'll just plug my, you know, my Twitter account. That's where I do. Uh, that's where I spend the majority of my time. I have other things that I'm, that I'm doing that I'm going on right now, but it's, uh, uh it's all behind the scenes. So mostly right now, I just plug uh, my, my, my YouTube channel, uh, the CryptoCast uh, network over there. We do new shows there every week, of course. So lots of great shows on there, like um, uh, Bitcoin Matters, which is um, from Beautyon, uh, which is one of the, uh, a great uh, Bitcoin community member. Lots of great knowledge and information that guy drops. And he has a very, very, he speaks way better than me, way, way, way better than me. I, I'm not a great speaker, but I tell you, he can absolutely um, define and, and discuss Bitcoin with just, just so clearly that you'll understand it really, really easily. So I recommend checking out that show, Bitcoin Matters. That's on the CryptoCast Network YouTube channel. And then you can find me uh, on Twitter uh, at the one vortex. all spelled out at the one vortex. Yes, it's linked to below. Okay, Marty, we're going to let you as the East Coaster on the... Uh, on the panel, have the uh, final word. Anything you wanted to add? Anything that was left out? Uh, you could talk about your podcast. Anything? Yeah, no, yeah. Thanks uh, again for having me on. It's always a fun time, Adam. Uh, yeah, Tales from the Crypt is the podcast I host. Uh, do an interview series and then rabbit hole recap with Matt O'Dell once a week. Um, so definitely check that out at TFTC twenty one on Twitter, and then I'm on Twitter at Marty Ben. I write a daily newsletter. Uh, so sign up for that as well if you want to get a ship. Excuse me if you want to get uh, my thoughts to your inbox every morning. And then yeah, I think one topic that we didn't cover uh, really on the top of my mind this week was uh, 
sort of the, I mean, these are vulnerabilities that we all have known about or know are possible attacks against hardware wallets, but it, it was just brought to the forefront again after the MIT Bitcoin Expo with the hardware wallet sort of hacks that can happen. Nobody's at risk uh, unless somebody has physical access to your device or if you get supply chain attack, but it's just a healthy reminder is like the note of risk of, uh, know the risk that exists when you're taking uh, custody of your UTXOs into your own hands, um, staying on top of that and sort of knowing what's going on, just be aware. Yeah, those attacks involve like someone physically getting a hold of your trezor. So yep. don't don't panic, people. Yep. Uh, don't don't let some stranger hold your trezor either. Uh, but they were some pretty freakish attacks too. I mean, you had to like break into it and yeah, it's very very intricate. But it's just a reminder, like make sure you have possession of your shit at all times. And, yeah, and really the best thing you can do is just, is just get education, right? Just be, uh, learn how to run your own full node. Uh, you know, get, get a simple laptop, uh, not, don't connect it to the internet, run your own full node and, you know, uh, uh, with your own uh, Bitcoin core wallet on there. And then, you know, you'll be fine. You don't have, you won't have to worry about um, all of these different updates that they do to, to the, to Trezor, to Ledger, to all these things. Cause remember there's, there's so many, so many ways that these things can be uh, at risk. So they, they constantly do updates every, you know, every couple months there's a new update. And if you own a Trezor or a Ledger, you know, you have to be, you have to be on top of these updates uh, to keep your device secure. But of course, if you just run your own Bitcoin core wallet and your own full node, on, on a uh, on a on your own laptop, you know, then then you're good to go. You don't actually have to worry about any of that. So, but yeah, just uh, be 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 very careful, people, if you're going to run those hardware wallets. And and also, if they're going to make it easier to run your own full node. Right now, you know, you say just run your own full node. It's not that it's not that easy. So that's why well, with Pierre with Pierre's node launcher, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> no, well, it's getting easier. It's getting that's easier. I used node launcher last weekend. It's very easy. You, you literally just double click it, Adam, and and it and it pretty much does everything. But that, that's good. That's good for hot wallet stuff, right? If you're accepting transactions and you're sending yeah. transactions, but if you're just if you're just holding, you know, fifteen thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin or something, um, you don't want to have that in a hot wallet at all. You don't want to have that on a hardware wallet. And in my opinion, the best place to go to is write down your seed words on pen and paper. Make sure there's multiple copies in case there's a flood or a fire. Um, and, uh, you know, don't, don't keep your keys on the hardware wallet because, um, hardware is always going to be hackable. We we've never in all of history come up with a hardware device. I mean, that's one of the reasons I wasn't, I was so skeptical of Bitcoin when I heard that it was unhackable. Right. But we've never come up with a hardware device where if I hand it to you or I hand it to a bad guy, they can't find a way in. It's just a matter of time and effort. If somebody collects a bunch of these, then they can justify the electron microscopes and all the crazy stuff that might be involved to get to it. So don't get overconfident in these hardware wallets. They're better than a cell phone wallet, but they're not as good as paper that's uh, that's actually physically secured. And really, uh, sorry, sorry, Adam, one more last thing. Uh, the, the the only hardware wallet that I'd probably ever recommend would be the cold card wallet because that actually is literally never, ever, ever going to be ever connected to the internet. It actually is cold. That's what we call it, the cold card wallet. So something like that might be, obviously it's, it's more difficult to use than a Trezor, but it is such an awesome, awesome cypherpunk device. All right, people, don't panic. They're safe. Um, don't keep your coins on Coinbase or a third party because this, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're up to keeping your coins on a, a third party site, uh, learn the Trezor, okay? Just, yeah, the, it, there's a different, everyone's got a different experience level. Everyone's technically skilled a certain way, um, but you really want to get it to a level where you're not dependent on a third party. That That's the most important thing. And then it gets more complex as we move on and it gets to the Trace Mayor level. And again, Trace Mayor does his thing his way. Don't panic that you can't do that. You know, don't, don't panic that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Just Get it to the safest that you level you can get it to. All right, we we oh, we talk some wallets there at the end. Okay, that's it, dudes. It was a great show. It was great to have this all star cast in the house. It's it's nice to be back in the USA. Um, remember, I do a new show every day, no matter where I am. Even when I'm on a plane, there was a show that came out. I had it all planned out. But um, yeah, tomorrow's the Beyond Bitcoin show. We'll do this show again next Friday and every other day is the one Bitcoin show. You never know what you're going to get here. You never know what guest is going to be on. I'm Adam Meister. I'm the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember, subscribe to the channel, like this video, share this video, pound that like button, bang that bell button. Thank you, guest, again. DisruptMeister.com. Shabbat Shalom. I will see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.